a because I do love this story a lot. Um, it was inspired by a workshop we did um, for the quarantine project in which um, we had to create a character um, inspired by um, something around us and I chose uh, this painting I made on my very first day of preschool and I've looked at this painting for years now because it's been hanging in my in in the study since my first day of preschool as well and when I looked at it during that workshop that was the first time I noticed that there were figures in that painting somewhere I thought it was just paint blobs but no I could see figures in it um, which was mind-blowing for me I have to say um, so I created this story based on the three figures and dog I could see in that painting. It's called Unscrupulous. You swear you can get us in? asked Tavine. His eyes narrowed down on her. He didn't want to trust her. She was everything he stood against. He stared at the money that was practically pouring out of her expensive clothes that kept her warm while his, toe, while his toes in his holy shoes wiggled coldly. He most certainly did not want to trust her but if he wanted to show the village that her father was an unscrupulous thief, then he needed her help. I swear, said Puntas. We go in through the servants' entrance and take the back stairwell. My father should be in the king's court until four o'clock, so his study should be empty. Perfect, said Havine, smiling. He looked at his sibling, who had worry in her eyes. She did not want him to join the rich girl on a vendetta against the master of coin just because of her daddy issues. He saw her concern and reassured her as best as he could. Don't worry, Hetty. I'll be fine. Havine turned to Puntas. Let's go. Puntas and Havine tiptoed their way carefully and quietly throughout the great house that Puntas had grown up in and had grown to hate. The memories she had from her childhood were not dreadful or torturous. Her earliest memories were of her father and mother smiling as they played with her in the gardens. Now Puntas' memories are bathed in secrets, conspiracies and lies. Her fortunate upbringing in their large mansion was at the expense of the impoverished villagers living merely a few miles away from her. She was determined to take back their money that the king and her father took from them during their monthly taxes. She would no longer allow her unscrupulous father to steal from them, even if that means treason if she were to be caught. But there was nothing to catch. She might be ransacking her father's study, but there was nothing to be found. There was no money, no checks to be paid to the king nor his royal subjects, no notes from the destitute paupers living in filth because of the corrupt scheme laid down by King Silas and sustained by Puntas's father. No one's money was here at all. Where the hell is it? whispered Havine angrily. I don't know, said Puntas as she chucked the cushions onto the floor and checked between the wedges of the furniture. I thought it would be here. Well, it's not, so what the hell do we do now? Before Puntas could answer, she heard one of the servants outside the door to the study. She then heard her father's booming voice and the tap, tap, tapping of his cane. He was just outside, scolding the maid. Havine and Puntas quickly threw everything back into place as neatly as could be done in a few seconds, then proceeded to hide in the, in the closet. She knelt down and peeped through the keyhole. Rin, 
Puntas's father, stepped into the study after shouting at the maid for making direct eye contact with him. He looked around the room to find it in disarray and contemplated firing the useless woman whose job it is to clean it up. He tucked the cane under his armpit and moved the papers. Once it was cleared, Rin collapsed onto the divan and let loose a large sigh, and then a hiccup. Then several more until Rin was weeping like a babe. His trembling fingers reached into his coat pocket and produced a sealed envelope, still shaking. He held it to his heart as he wept. Puntas had never heard her father cry, not even during the recession, not even during the recession last solstice, when the king was forced to delay taxes for two months. As master of coin, he was working all hours and barely slept or ate. The, la the two months and the following weeks were particularly stressful for her father. And though his anger flared up more than usual during that time, Puntas never saw him shed a tear until now. The tears fell down his face for a few minutes longer while he clutched the letter tightly and cradled it like it was a child in his arms. He lifted up and softly pressed his lips to it before placing it back inside his pocket. He dabbed his eyes with a soft blue handkerchief that, uh, that Puntas had bought him for his last naming day. A knock came on the door to his study. It was Puntas's mother, Tatiana. Rin sniffled, then put back a cold, uh, then put back on a cold steel mask of dignity and allowed his wife to enter. She came in, looking like a vision of pure angelic divinity. The stunning white gown she wore accentuated her long, flowing locks of yellow sunlight and her bright blue eyes like the sky. Puntas had always envied her mother's looks as she had as she had inherited her father's dark, curly, and unmanageable hair, as well as the, as well as eyes the colour of shit. Her mother was as sweet as they came, her voice was melodious, and her touch left the skin singing with happiness. Rin kissed his, wife, his wife's hand, told her how beautiful she was today, and she thanked him, before letting him know that his meeting with the king's court had been pushed until later in the day. Tatiana asked if, she, if he would enjoy a spot of tea before the meeting, now that, they had t now that they had the time, and Rin agreed. That was the longest conversation Puntas had seen her parents have in years. Their marriage was not one of love, but of mutual admiration and duty. Though neither of them were truly happy, their arranged marriage was considered a, sec a successful one, and because of that they were forcing Puntas to follow the same path. Puntas was betrothed uh, to a young boy called Archon, he was her age and from a family of equal standing. She could not remember the family's name. It was a rather long and unpronounceable one. She had been betrothed to the boy for a few years now and her parents were talking of an official engagement soon. That is what led Puntas to leave in the, to leave in the house and explore in the village, which led her to realise in the poor conditions the inhabitants lived in, which led her to Medin Havine and his band of and his small band of revolutionaries, which led her to be stuck hiding in a small closet in her father's study with Havine's body cl uh, closely and awkwardly pressed against her own. Rin proposed that Tatiana go on ahead as he had something to put away in their bedroom first. She smiled, kissed him on the cheek and left. He sighed, softly, ta softly tapped the letter in his pocket, grabbed his walking stick and left as well. As soon as the door was shut, Puntas and Havine burst out from the closet and fell to the floor with a thud. Let's get out of here, Havine said as he scuffled up towards the door. No, we have to see that letter. Puntas stood up and brushed herself off. 
What for? It could be important, she said, pleading with her new acquaintance. No, sorry. One close call is enough for me. He huffed and panted, and panted air that wasn't stale and decrepit like the kind inside of the closet. You keep looking, and if you find anything, you let me know. Fintas nodded. She ushered him out of the door and down the stairwell, and hurried him out of the servants' entrance without everyone ever having seen either of them. She left the kitchen promptly. She passed a window that looked out onto the patio, and she saw both her parents sipping their tea quietly together under the parasol. Seizing the opportunity, Puntas raced to her be parents' bedroom to find that uh, to find that letter. She knew if it were anywhere in the room that it would not be hiding in the drawers where her mother and father's garments lived, thank goodness, for she did not want nor need to see either of their bloomers. She knew if her father was hiding something in his room, then it would be inside of the small chest of drawers next to his side of her parents' bed. He told her off many years ago for snooping and said that it was out of line to go through his things and that their room was now out of bounds. But she was hopefully much cleverer than her seven-year-old self. She unsheathed the knife she kept hidden in her boot and jimmied the locked drawers open. She pulled them mightily and soon they heaved open with a thunderous creak. She peeked through the keyhole in the door to see if anyone was startled by the sound and came to investigate. Fortunately, there was no one. She looked back at the drawer and saw that it was uh, saw that sitting atop the mountain of papers stashed away in the drawer was the letter her father was weeping over. She knew she should be looking for evidence against her father and the king, but her heart steered her towards the letter. She had to know what could make her that could make her father cry so. She sat cross-legged on the wooden floor and ripped open the envelope. She unfolded the letter and saw that the person who had written it had such beautiful penmanship that even her governess would envy. She set to reading it. My dearest Rin, my love, it has been too long. I know I have not written to you for quite some time, but I have, had, I have not had the chance to slip away and write this. I suspect you doubted that I, I would even write again. After all, I told you about Alice in my last letter. Unfortunately, I must make matters worse and tell you that we are now engaged and that the announcement will be public in a few days' time. I am sorry to tell you this, but we foresaw it years ago when we first kissed, under the willow tree in my garden. We knew nothing would come of it. You married with your little girl and me, a young, respectable lord. It would never have worked. We both know this to be true. You must also realise that I have to marry Alice. I cannot risk being a bachelor forever. People might start to talk, and one of those people might be the authorities. I am truly sorry. I only wish that you do not hate me, and that you find happiness in this life. Perhaps in the next, we may find each other again, and our love will not break the laws of, this, of the land. One can only hope. Remember that I will always love you. Your fondest, Rendell. Puntas was shocked right down to her very core. Her fingers trembled the same as her father's did earlier. She suspected her father of secrets, but did not expect this. The letter fell between her fingers, and they soon and they soon set to work through the rest of the pile. There were hundreds of letters in the drawer, all from Rendell, a man she thought her father scarcely knew. She had met the Lord once or twice at royal functions, but she had never seen them more than a few uh, more than a few. But she had never seen them have more than a few courteous words with one another before. She was absolutely flummoxed. And to further her surprise, she had found the monetar monetary statements to be sent to the king, and they were, and there was in fact very little money going to him. 
but she had found an envelope stuffed to the brink with cash. Inside it, as well as a letter addressed to Havine's father, who was the head for the village council, it was supposedly, uh, it was supposed, inside it as well, was a letter addressed to Havine's father, who was the head for the village council. It was supposedly from an anonymous friend who wants the money to, uh, who wants the money to be shared around those who need it. Punta sat there dumbfounded. Not only was her father an invert, but he was not as unscrupulous as she thought. Puntas, a voice, a voice came from behind her. It was her father's voice. She turned around and saw her father towering over her. Puntas, he whispered. He saw the, he saw the letters that she mm -hmm. held in her hand tightly. What? He lost his words and could not find them anywhere. He was soon going to check his coat pockets to see if some words were hiding in there. His face was so red, and his breaths came so heavy. Uh, came so heavily that Puntas thought he was going to have a conniption. But it was not a face of anger, but one of fear and embarrassment. Papa, you're a... An invert? She said quietly. She was scared to say the word as if, she, as if saying it was, was an offence worse than being one. The skin covered, uh, covering Rin's face went from beet red to ghostly white. You must tell no one, he whispered harshly. He dropped his walking stick to the floor and knelt down to Puntas's level. Rin grabbed both her shoulders and looked her in the eye. Promise me, Puntas, promise me. Puntas shakily nodded her head and her relieved father released a huge sigh. Papa, the money, you're giving it back to them? She asked. Now it was her turn to grab his arm. What of your employment? What of the king? Drax to the king and his laws, Rin said, standing up. His embarrassment and fear turned to anger and resentment to the laws that forbid him from being with the man he loved. I am too sick to continue to yield to the like of him no more. His emotions were, uh, were bursting from him. All that he has had to hide over the years, all that was pent up, came pouring out of the floodgates. And no more shall the people of Tunsend yield to Silas. He does not deserve their praise, their worship or their hard-earned money. Puntas rushed to her raging father and wrapped her arms around his neck. This was the first hug they had shared since she was a little girl. She had forgotten how warm he is. His Rin's arms went gingerly around his daughter's waist as he stifled the chi as he stifled the tears that threatened to also pour out. He sniffled weakly, but his grip on his daughter was strong. Then they both heard the sound of a gun cocking. They released their hold on one another and turned to the door. They saw Tatiana, in all her beauty, holding a small pistol revolver that was pointed straight at them. Mama and Tatiana were both spoken at the same time by Puntas and Rin, who were both stood speechless at this sudden show of violence that Tatiana had never demonstrated before. I always knew you were an invert, Rin, but I didn't think you were also a traitor. She shook her head in disappointment. King Silas won't be pleased to hear this. Most likely you'll both hang for this. Puntas was flabbergasted. She looked at her mother and pleaded her with, uh, with her eyes as she was too afraid to speak. I'll mourn you both, of course, as much, as much as one can, can mourn the loss of a family of traitors. But I'll mourn nonetheless. I'll mourn mon Sorry. I'll mourn... Nonetheless, and then Silas and I can marry. He will be delighted. 
Rin looked at his wife in anger. He knew of her devotion to the king and he... Sorry, I had a message on my phone. Um, Rin looked at his wife in anger. He knew of her devotion to, uh, to the king and country ran strong, but he did not think that it ran this deep. She ushered them to move as she continued to point her small but intimidating weapon at them. They held their hands up and walked towards the door. Rin followed his daughter's footsteps, but one hand held tightly onto his cane. Puntas looked back to gain some kind of assurance from her father, but he simply turned the corners of his mouth up slightly. His right hand firmly clenched in the cane's handle and, uh, and his left slowly moved to the stick. He swiftly pulled them apart and brandished a sword that lay inside of his walking stick. He swiped it at his wife, slashing the hand that held the pistol. As she screamed in pain and tried to stem the bleeding, Rin shoved Puntas forward and they ran. They raced down the grand staircase in front of, the in front of their servants, who looked at them with wide eyes. They soon turned their heads at their mistress, who came running after them, with a white dress stained with blood and a gun in her hand. Before they made it out of the door, Tatiana let loose a shot. Normally she had superb aim, but that was not the case when she used her left hand. It hit her husband as he bolted out of the door, though it only grazed his shoulder. They ran out of the door and saw that the carriage that was waiting to take Rin to his meeting with King Silas. They jiggled the door open and hurried inside. To the village, Rin shouted. But my lord, weren't you, uh, weren't you to meet up with Just Drive? His left arm uh, held his shoulder taut as the blood dripped down and stained his clean dress shirt. Puntas pulled a handkerchief from her pocket and pressed it against the wound. They both panted heavily. Uh, their out-of-sync breaths created a melody of air that filled the carriage. Puntas looked to her father and Rin looked back at her. Neither of them knew what would come next, but they knew they would do it together. The end. For now.